Good to be back with you. It's good to worship together too. And uh, we just continue to pray and ask the Lord to allow us to continue to do this because not many churches are meeting right now. So we do want to be careful. We want to continue to be safe. And um, I think if we do that, and the Lord is gracious because He's in control, um, all authority in heaven and on earth actually belongs to Jesus. So uh, praise God for what He's doing in our church. And like Jay said, you know, we have many people that we support locally and globally that are doing the work of Christ. And so that's a good thing. We're doing a good thing here at Hillcrest. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. I'll give you some time to turn there. We have been in a series for the past five weeks called Extreme Prayer, where most of you, I hope, received the book, and I hope even more that you've read the book by Greg Pruitt, president of Pioneer Bible Translators. It's an incredible book. It's a short book, a very easy read, but it has a powerful message. And over these last five weeks, we together as a faith family have learned what it really means to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's what we've been learning and unpacking these last several weeks. To pray extreme prayer is to ask God according to His will in Jesus' name. And us, on our end as the church, having the faith to believe that He'll actually do it. Well, this morning, this is our last Sunday, by the way, in this series called Extreme Prayer. We'll enter into a new series next week. So in our last Sunday, I want to introduce another element of extreme prayer called fasting. And what is fasting, you might ask? Well, first, before I define fasting, I want to tell you what fasting is not. Fasting is not a diet. It is not a way or a reason or an excuse to lose weight. If you've kept up with the health and fitness world for the past, I don't know, two decades or so, you'd see that the progressions of the diet and exercise world has made fasting a part of the the diet and exercise health world. It's called intermittent fasting, in fact. But before intermittent fasting was ever a thing, the way that you would work out, the way that you would create that beach body, if you will, for the next summer which we're in summer now, but let's be real, we're getting ready for beach body of 2021. It used to be eating a lot of protein, eating low carbs, if any carbs at all, and low fat. And then you just work out like crazy and lift heavy weights. And there's a picture Brandon should show here. That was the epitome of workout. That movie, 300, came out in 2008, and it went crazy. It was a a phenomenon, if you will, all across the world, but especially in my world, that was what everybody wanted to look like. And my friends and I used to have a saying, the diet starts next Monday. So it would be Monday, and we'd be at Buffalo Wild Wings, but the diet starts next Monday. And so after eating Buffalo Wild Wings, or, you know, eating a double meat cheeseburger with bacon and a bunch of French fries and a Coke, I would go home, and I would Google this workout. It was called, it had a specific name. It was one of the most Googled workout, workout and diet routines that had been Googled for a very long time. It was called the 300 Diet and Workout. 
It had its own workout. So I'd go and I'd eat buffalo owl wings or something, and I'd go home, and I would want motivation, so I would Google 300 diet and workout, and this picture would pop up. In fact, I put this picture, I think, on my Facebook profile many years ago. That's what everybody wanted to look like. I even fasted one time after eating buffalo owl wings. I thought, enough is enough. I want to be fit, and so I'm going to fast starting tomorrow. I had no idea. This is before I was a Christian. I had no idea what fasting was like. I didn't know anything about fasting. So the very next day, after eating 20 wings from buffalo owl wings and fries, I started my fast. I went four and a half days with just drinking water. And I dropped 20 pounds. I looked horrible. I felt horrible. And everybody was like, you look so bad. You look sick. Eat something. But no, summer is right around the corner. I'm fasting. What is fasting? I don't know. But I've lost 20 pounds. Leave me alone. Well, the truth is I was so unhealthy, I did it wrong. You don't eat wings and start a fast the very next day, especially when you haven't done any research. And so I decided to quit my fast because it was a silly thing to do. And I had been craving potato skins from TGI Fridays. So I went straight to TGI Fridays, and I stuffed myself. And you know what? I gained 20 pounds back in 48 hours. That's the wrong way to do fasting. But today, it's no longer look like Gerard Butler from 300, work out really hard and eat a high-protein diet. Today, there's this thing called intermittent fasting. It's where you eat for only a set of hours each day, let's say eight hours. And then for 16 straight hours, you don't eat, usually when you are asleep. Because typically, I think it's scientifically proven, nobody eats when they're asleep. So it's easiest to do it when you're asleep. That's the idea of breakfast. You're breaking a fast. Well, intermittent fasting does have, actually have its health benefits. I mean, it is scientifically proven. But biblically speaking, intermittent fasting is not what we're getting at. Biblically speaking, the definition for fasting is, let's put it like this. It's, by the way, it's not about gaining personal things, but rather personally gaining God. One author writes this about fasting. Fasting is the laying aside of food for a period of time when the believer is seeking to know God in a deeper experience. John Piper is a former pastor, has written many books. He says this about fasting. We fast out of homesickness for God. To fast in the biblical sense is combined with seeking God in prayer. If I could just sum up fasting for us as a church today, I would say this. Fasting and prayer, even unified prayer, is an act of humility and a display of a deep hunger for the things of God. So in Isaiah 58, I want to show us two different ways of fasting. The first is the kind of fasting that our God does not approve of. And the second is the kind of fasting that our God approves of. So if you have your Bible, Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Those are the first two 
verses of Isaiah 58. I can't help but imagining myself, this is what I did on, when I was reading. I often put myself in the scriptures, and I was imagining myself sitting at the half court of a basketball court. You know what a basketball court looks like. There's a half court. There's two sides on each side of the half court. While I'm in the, standing on the half court line, on one side is the people of Israel, and on the other side is Isaiah the prophet. Speaking, by the way, on behalf of Almighty God. And God says, or Isaiah says, on behalf of God to Israel, declare to my people their sins and their rebellion. The Lord says, Isaiah, pick up a megaphone. Shout it loud, like the sound of a trumpet. And declare to my people their sins. Well, wait a minute, God. They're eager to know you. Day after day, they seek you out. They're a nation that does what is right and cares about your ways. They're eager, God, for you to come near to them. Yet God responds in this way. Why? Because Israel had the appearance of righteousness, but were living an ungodly life. Israel had the appearance of righteousness, but were living an ungodly life. Isaiah 58, verse 3. Why have we fasted, the people say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? You see, if fasting and prayer is an act of humility and a deep hunger for the things of God, Israel was not doing that. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, the Lord says, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and with striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast and do today. You cannot fast as you do today and expect for your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. So take notice in verse 4. The Lord says this. He's speaking through the prophet Isaiah. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Israel... The people of God were fasting and seeking God in a way that God did not approve of. Why? Because they made it about themselves. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. They're fasting. They are fasting. Yet at the same time, they're dealing wickedly with each other. Jesus himself says, the world will know you by the way you love one another. And Israel is fasting yet all the while dealing wickedly with one another, arguing, debating one another, looking for their own personal gain. They made it about them. And they had the audacity to say to their God, why have we fasted then? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're arrogantly demanding to know why God hasn't responded to their fasting and their prayer. And the reason that they even recognize that God hasn't answered them is because they're fasting for earthly results. They're fasting for, for a, a material blessing for their own personal gain. They made it about themselves. But wait a minute. Verse 3 says they humbled themselves. Well, that's a good thing. But another word here for humbled is affliction. So Israel is saying, God, we have afflicted ourselves. We have caused ourselves to suffer on your behalf. 
We have laid aside the very thing that gives us sustenance. Food. God, we have, we have allowed our stomachs to grow hungry. We have afflicted ourselves. In this moment of fasting, we're suffering for you. We're starving, God. They weren't. They weren't doing all of that for the right reasons. And you know what? God saw right through them. He saw right through them because fasting and prayer is rooted from the heart. Rooted from the heart. Let me give you a practical example. Very practical, I might say. This is like you and me, all of us coming together in this room right now, worshiping together. You could call it a a prayer and fasting meeting or it could just be a, a normal church service. You worship together. You sing praises to God. You pray. You greet one another. You amen this, amen that. You might even hold your spouse's hand. Grab them a donut, pre-COVID, of course. We're not handing out donuts right now. But as soon as you get in the car, you start bickering with each other. Start complaining to one another. You get a text from a person, maybe a coworker, you didn't like the response, so you go after it. You start a debate. You start arguing. You go on social media. You don't like what people are saying about this or that. And so you give your opinion. Now everybody's seen it. You pick a fight. With your spouse, perhaps. With your children. With your neighbor when you get home. You start kicking things. Disrespecting people. The way you treat people at the grocery store when you go pick up lunch after church is far different than the amens you gave in this building. You beat down instead of building up. Why? Perhaps there's anger deeply rooted beneath the surface surface that nobody else sees. You might not even recognize it. But there's anger building up within you. In your innermost being that nobody else knows about. Everybody else might be impressed by your righteous decision to fast and pray, to show up and worship in church. But you know what? The Word of God says God isn't. He's not impressed. And He doesn't approve. It's why God says to Isaiah, raise your voice like a trumpet. Or in 2020, Isaiah, grab a megaphone and declare to my people their sin. The people of Israel were seeking God with prayer and fasting while neglecting the iniquities in their own heart. And God says, I will not approve of this. You have the appearance of being righteous but you are living ungodly. They seem eager to know God, but God knows the true intent of their hearts, and it's the same for you and me today. The Bible says who we are and what we say is an overflowing of our hearts. And more than anybody else in this room, God knows the true intent of your heart. God sees you the way others don't. In the New Testament, here's a great example. You've heard about these people many times. They're called the religious leaders. They've often been referred to as the religious elite because they're the ones who had all of the Bible knowledge. They knew the scriptures. They had the education. They were taught from a young age to know the word of God. They were lofty with their words. They were eloquent in the way they spoke. They had wisdom. 
They had the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible, completely memorized. It was a requirement to be a Pharisee and a religious leader to have the Torah memorized. Can you imagine having that much Scripture memorized? They walked tall, the religious leaders. They were larger than life. And you know what? They were very proud of that. They also made it a habit of fasting in public, seeking the praise of other people. And you know what? Jesus had something to say about that. As he was teaching his disciples and many others who were listening, he gives them an example of how to fast and how not to fast. Does it sound familiar? Just like Isaiah in Isaiah 58. Jesus says, when you fast, don't do it like them. Jesus called the teachers of the scriptures hypocrites. And he said, when you fast, don't be like a hypocrite. He says in Matthew 6, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Public acknowledgement, praises of people. Jesus is saying those Pharisees have already received their reward. The praises of the people will be their only reward. God opposes the proud and gives favor to the humble. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Jesus says, but when you fast, Christians in 2020, don't make it obvious to everyone. Instead, in an act of humility, do it in secret. Don't make it a public thing. Don't blast it on social media. I used to do this early in my Christian life. I, uh, I was so happy to be fasting. It was like a new spiritual discipline I was trying in my Christian life. And so I would purposely go out to eat with my friends at a place that I love, Buffalo Wild Wings. And I would just drink water. And they would say, Nate, why aren't you getting anything? I'm fasting. I'm really seeking God in this moment. Can't you tell? You can easily, easily become proud of a spiritual discipline. And the Word of God is saying, don't Make it public. Do it in private. Then you will receive your reward from your Father in heaven. It's not a public thing. It's a private thing between you and God or the family of God and God. Don't flaunt your fasting all over social media so everyone knows how super Christian you are. You're more Christian than the next Christian. You're more righteous than your Christian neighbor. Fasting in prayer church is an act of humility and a, a true hunger for God. Jesus says, then you'll receive your reward when you fast this way, not like the hypocrites. The religious leaders, the religious elite in Jesus' day had the appearance of righteousness, but their, rot, their, their hearts were rotten. Their hearts were rotten. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Do any of you remember the name Ted Bundy? In the 1970s, this man was a psychopathic murderer. He was responsible for killing something like 30 college-age women across seven different states in the 1970s. There's a picture of him Brandon might have. Well, Ted Bundy was on the loose, was not reprimanded for a long time, years in fact, because nobody thought that he was the one responsible, even though four different people identified Ted Bundy as the one responsible, including his ex-girlfriend, a friend of his, 
a recent coworker and a college professor of his said he's the guy. He's the one responsible for these murders. However, the authorities dismissed it. They dismissed him as a suspect. He was a clean-cut, good-looking young man. He was a law student. He was really good with his words, and he had no criminal record. So they dismissed him as a perpetrator. How could this man be responsible for so much? You know what happened? More people became victims of Ted Bundy. You see, Ted Bundy had the appearance of one person. The public eye saw him as one person. But behind closed doors, he was a completely different person. His life, his actions told a completely different story than what everybody else saw. And the same is true for us, not that we're psychopathic murderers. That would be awkward. But we can have the appearance of one person, and behind closed doors, when nobody else is watching, we can be completely different. We can come into this room, or any other church building for that matter, and sing praises and hymns and songs to our God. Amen this, amen that. But when we leave and we become a different person, this is what the Word of God is saying. God does not approve of that kind of fast. He doesn't. He opposes it. So, there is a fasting that God opposes. But there's also a fasting that God approves of. And the fasting that God approves of is the kind of fasting for which He chooses. Listen to what He says. Isaiah 58, picking up in verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly, quickly appear. Israel wanted a vertical experience with God without a horizontal touch in the lives of other people. They wanted their God to do something for them while they did nothing for other people. God says, Is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the chains of the injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? We live in a world of immense injustice. Just to name a few, sex trafficking, abortion, poverty, homelessness. There are almost 200 million people in the world who are homeless. There are people in the world, even in this country, who lack clean water. These are just a few of injustices in the world. And who is God calling to bring restoration to this fallen and unjust world? The church. God is calling the church to do these things. The church should be the ones initiating restoration to make right injustices in the world and seeking our God through prayer and fasting because He's the one who sets people free, those who are oppressed. I was recently talking to a very close friend of mine two days ago. In fact, this has been my friend my entire life. He's like a brother to me. I hadn't heard from him for a long time. Didn't know where he was, what was going on. 
he finally called me from a certain county jail just a couple of days ago. My friend has been battling the monster that is called alcoholism for a long time. And it landed him in the county jail. And the bail is set too high that he can't be let out. So he's been there now for three months. And every day he has the weight of the uncertainty of what might be for his future, looking at possible prison time. My oldest friend, a brother to me, known in my whole life, and I'm talking to him. And I'm trying to, to do what God tells me to do. To shed a few encouraging words that are the gospel. I dealt with alcoholism. And I told him, Nick, alcoholism is a monster. And it will destroy you. But I told him something maybe he had never considered. There's an even greater monster working behind the scenes. Using something like alcoholism to destroy your life and keep you in bondage and as a slave to the vice that you think that you love. You don't love it. You're bound by it. And the monster, I tell my friend, it just grows and grows and grows until it brings people to rock bottom. And it just crushes them like a helpless little ant. Well, nine months after I had become a Christian, my friend was going to school out of country. Same friend, he comes back into town. This was four and a half years ago or so. And I hadn't seen him. And so we have coffee and I'm just doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell him about Jesus. And he just looked at me and he said, Nate, you, your life is just a completely 180 turn. You're like a different person. And I said, yes. Jesus has changed my life. I was once bound by a disease. And He set me free. He delivered me from alcoholism. Set me free from bondage that kept me and all people who are bound by addiction as a slave. Deeply, spiritually, oppressed by these things. And the best part is, it didn't require anything of me. I simply gave Him my life and made Him my life. Jesus works miracles and He washed me clean and He made me whiter than snow. A new creation. And I said to my friend on the phone two days ago, this is what Jesus does. He came to set the captives free, to loose the chains of injustice and unbound the oppressed. He came to offer living water from a well that never runs dry. Jesus is life-giving water to those who will allow themselves and allow their hearts to receive this water, this life-giving water. I said I, I told my friend, Jesus restores the human soul. He's a God of restoration. And my friend on the other line comes back and he says, I'm in need of some restoration. I need to be restored because the way I've, I've done it hasn't worked. I could use some restoration. And I said, that's fantastic because God wants to restore you. And you know what he said to me? Will you send me a Bible? I think I want to read it. I'm not the smartest person in the universe. But God has graciously given me an opportunity to share the best news in the universe. 
And if we're faithful to do that, you can have faith that He'll be faithful to do the rest. Jesus came to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is all over these verses. He says in Matthew 11, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. A yoke was like a wooden beam that was strapped on top of oxen and tied around their necks. And then there was a rope that was uh, tied to the, the, the beam itself, the wooden beam, the yoke, the farmer would use that to direct and control the oxen. It was the oxen themselves who were held under this yoke, doing all of the hard work while being controlled by another. And you know what? It's the, it's the same spiritually. As Christians, we can be in bondage and kept under the burden because that's what it is. It's a burden of trying to set ourselves free, tirelessly working ourselves to the point of exhaustion where we have nothing left to give other people. This is what prevents the church from being the church. We're not going to spend time feeding the poor. We're not going to spend time providing shelter for the homeless and caring for the sick. And we're certainly not going to minister to others. Because if we are bound by a yoke of oppression, we'll end up spiritually dry. We have nothing left to give others because we constantly are fighting for ourselves just to stay afloat spiritually. That's why we come here and we leave unchanged. Because we're bound by something. You're held under the yoke of some sin struggle that's kept you in bondage and it's made you a slave to that sin. It could be alcohol. It could be an addiction of some kind that's kept you bound. It could even be something as subtle as lust. Jesus says if you have lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Lust leads to worse things viewing things on the internet, that will crush you spiritually and keep you bound. You are looking for pleasure in other areas other than God. And the problem is, in the church, we keep these things hidden deep in our secret place. And nobody else knows about it but you or me. Nobody else knows about these things but ourselves. You treat everybody here nice, but in every day... Life, you're quick to become angry. You're not slow to become angry, you're quick to become angry, and you're impatient and rude to people at the grocery store. You don't really love and care for your neighbors in the way you feel called to. But it's not just sin. We can be bound by things like depression. You can even be held under the yoke of religion. The Israelites were hyper-religious, but they did not recognize their own sin. And what we don't realize is that what has us spiritually oppressed is the very thing that keeps us fully surrendered to Jesus and His mission. And if the church of Jesus Christ is a room full of people held under bondage, bondage is another way to say you're a slave. And if the, the body of Christ is held under a certain bondage of some sort, bound by something, spiritually oppressing them, then how could we possibly go out and do the things we're supposed to do? We won't go out and actually be the church. 
Jesus came preaching the good news that sets the captives free of their own spiritual oppression and bondage. And God is saying, I will not answer a fast like that. In fact, I oppose that kind of prayer and fasting. The kind of prayer and fasting that we don't recognize our own sin first. God, free us from our oppression so that we may go out and be the light, the city on a hill, and do the exact same thing to free the oppressed. It's often why we leave this place unchanged. We have the appearance of righteousness, but going into Monday, we live an ungodly life. And the problem, time and time again, is that we think ourselves, that we have the power to free ourselves, and we don't. And nobody else can. Nobody else will actually be able to help you because nobody else actually knows it. Let me illustrate it to you this way. A huge deception in the church today is that Christians think they can't be bound by something. And the one that's deceiving us is the devil. He wants you to think that it's impossible for you to be bound by something. And the more bound you are, the deeper your oppression becomes. The tighter those chains get. And the more oppressed you are. Because the devil wants you to think that this is just the way you're supposed to live your life. Maybe it's a habitual, generational sin that you will never break through from. It's just the way it is. Well, that's what the devil wants you to think. It's just the way it is. And you are held under the yoke of spiritual oppression. And it's drowning you spiritually to walk in this place and leave still bound by chains of injustice under the yoke of whatever it is that's keeping you where you are. And you're not growing in your faith and you're not growing spiritually because you have chains around your wrists. And a very powerful entity called the devil is keeping you there because he's lying to you and he's deceiving you saying, you'll never break free. Don't tell anybody. Then they'll know. And if they know, well then you'll be outed. And if you're outed, then you'll have to leave. And that's what the church does. They want people to leave if they're not like them. Well, that's not who the church is. That's who the devil says the church is. But if we're abiding in Christ and following His Word, we're the people that set free the oppressed. Because we have the Spirit of Christ in us. And Christ came to preach good news to the poor and set free those who are bound by chains and spiritually oppressed. But if we ourselves are oppressed and ourselves are chained, we can't do the work Christ is calling us to do. And this is the reason we fast. And this is the reason we pray. So that we ourselves can become free of the yoke that is destroying our spiritual lives. Jesus says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. And learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Jewish nation Jesus is talking to is under the heavy yoke of living under the law. An impossible way to live. 800-something laws. An impossible way to live and no doubt burdensome on their own faith. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're no longer under the law, Jesus says. I've come to set you free from that. Come and learn from me. Listen to my instructions because it's Jesus who leads us into the ways everlasting. But here's what he says. 
I want to ask John to come up here. John is Jesus in this illustration. Jesus says in Matthew 11, and He says in other places that He came to set the captives free. And the big deception in the church is that we as Christians can't be held in captivity. We can't be in bondage. We can't be in chains and bound by something. But that's a lie. And Jesus can set us free. But He says, come to Me. And often what we do, this is a nail, it's not the key to these cuffs. We often try to loosen the chains ourselves. We think we hold the key to unlocking what's keeping us bound. And it never works. And it will not work. And you especially can't do it on your own. But here's the good news for us and for the world. Jesus holds the key that unlocks what's keeping us bound. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus holds the key to unbinding what's bound. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. What does He say? Come to Me. If you don't come to Him, He can't unbind what's bound. He wants to be the one to set you free. And by His grace, and His power, and His love for you, He explained how much He wants to do that by His blood shed on the cross for you. He's not just forgiving you of your sin. He's setting you free from what's kept you bound. I want to ask the other people to come up here and just further this illustration. I said earlier, it's a deception often in the church that we cannot be bound by something. Whether that's depression, whether that's anger in your heart, whether that's worshiping some idol of some sort, that's not God. It could be alcoholism. You could have a drinking problem. It can be pornography. Whatever it is, it's hidden. And it's keeping you a slave. And keeping you from experiencing fullness in Christ. And it's keeping you from serving God the way He calls you to serve. And so... Other people in the church are bound. And Jesus holds the key to set them free. So why do we pray and fast, church? We come alongside one another and we carry each other's burdens. The enemy wants you to keep whatever it is you're struggling with to yourself because that's what keeps you bound. But when we come together carrying each other's burdens, praying and fasting, saying we're going to lay aside what, what gives us sustenance. We're going to lay aside food. And we're going to hunger for God. And we're going to ask Him to set the captives free. To loosen the chains of the oppressed. And so Jesus goes to the next person. When we're praying and fasting together as a family, we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be set free of what's keeping them bound. All the while, the power of Almighty God through the person of Christ is setting someone free. Maybe you're not bound by anything, but you might know somebody who is. Wouldn't it be good and gloriously amazing to come together as a family, fasting and praying, seeking our God to set the captives free? That's when people find relief. So that's Jesus. Now, here's what we don't want to miss. We all possess Jesus in our lives. In fact, Jesus left so that we could receive His Holy Spirit, which means Christ 
lives in us, the hope of glory. So yes, Jesus is doing the setting free. Jesus holds the key to us being unbound, but it's Christians who are fasting and praying, who are sharing each other's burdens. And when we do that, we can pray for each other, fasting, seeking God, and all the while, we're being, our chains are being loosened. And the chains are coming off the people of God. We're not hiding what's keeping us bound. We're exposing it. We're exposing it because it's good and right and biblical. And so we are unbinding each other through the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. And when Jesus sets the whole church free of what's keeping them bound, well then the church can go and do what God approves of. Feed the hungry. House the homeless. Clothe the naked. Set the oppressed free. Unbind people who are bound. Actually, I have another verse I want to read. So here's what we're going to do. I want to introduce you to something I'm really excited about. Marianne and and Jennifer are going to lead us in a new song. Or not a new song, just a song. (laughs) And in that song, I want to invite anyone in this room who might be feeling the weight of a yoke that is destroying you spiritually. Come forward. Let us pray together in Jesus' name, having faith that He will answer. Having faith that Psalm 18, verse 6 says, In my distress I called to the Lord, I cried to my God for help. Listen to this. From His temple He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into His ears. Church, when we fast and pray together, we seek God for the way that He approves of. Our prayers enter. They, they pierce through space and time and they enter into His ears. And He listens to us. If you are bound by something that's internally destroying you spiritually, I want to ask you to come forward and let us pray for you. Kyle's going to come up here. I'll stand up here. We want to pray for you. Now, here's what we're excited about. The prayer room is done. It's finished. It's ready to go. If you haven't seen it, please see it on your way out. But if you feel uncomfortable coming forward to have someone pray for you, the prayer room is a good place to go. The door can be shut. And, and Mark and Kathy are in there right now waiting for people to come in to pray for. Let's not hold what's keeping us bound to ourselves. Let's let our God release and break chains in this room so that we can go out possessed by the Holy Spirit and serve our God and do the exact same to set the captives free, those who are bound by injustices. This Friday, this coming Friday, from 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to pray and fast as a church. If you've never fasted before, I'm going to send out a resource. I'm going to email it to you. It's going to explain what it means to fast. If you've never done it before, here's how I'll do it. and You can do what I'm doing. If we're going to meet at 6.30, we're going to be done around 7.30. I'm going to start at 7.30 at night on Thursday. And I will not break my fast until Friday after we're done praying. I'm only going to drink water. And I really, really, really love my coffee. But I'm not just going to wait and pray that night. I'm going to pray throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. I'm going to continue to pray. And then we're going to meet together having fasted 
giving up the things that we love, food. If you can't fast from food, things that you love, maybe social media, things like that. Don't, don't go to social media that day. Say, I'm giving it up. I'm thinking about God and I'm praying to God and we're going to meet together Friday evening and every single person in this room and whoever's not here who goes to this church is invited to come. And we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to seek our Father in heaven. And we're going to come alongside each other, sharing each other's burdens, group up even. Say, this is what's been hurting me. This is what's been controlling me. I need you to pray for me and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe our God will set people free so we can go out and do the exact same thing. So let me pray for you. And again, if you haven't ever come forward, don't be ashamed. And you can go in that room and we'll pray for you during that song. I'll be in the back as well. And I'm ready to pray for anybody who wants to be prayed for. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit in this room. Thank you, God, for being a good father who loves his children. Thank you, God, who, who is in complete control, has authority over all things, has the power to set people free of what's keeping them bound. God, I ask now, those who are struggling with something, Lord, press it upon their hearts to tell someone that we may come alongside them and share that burden and together pray and ask You to unbind what's keeping us oppressed. Jesus, we thank You. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.